This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. Today's message is from the Book of Acts sermon series. In this series, we're diving deeper into how God has invited us into His mission, how the Holy Spirit was present at the beginning of the church and is active now, and how the local church is God's primary method to change the world. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message encourages you. What do you think of when you hear the word devoted or devotion? Raise your hand. What do you think of when you think of the word, yes, you, all in? Were you in last service? All right, I like that. Good job. I love that stuff. I love the double dippers. Um, And so uh, going to two services, that's a sign of being all in. I like that. Sign of devotion. Someone else, what a devoted devotion. Anyone else? Yes, you. Dedicated, super good, very, very good. One more, devoted, devotion. Anyone else, anyone else have words? Anyone else go to last service? Yes, you in the back. Yes, you in the back. Absolutely, all in on that one thing, super good. You know, an occupational hazard of being a pastor is you end up at a lot of weddings and funerals. And, and, and the thing about those events is, is I, I think about devotion in that context and that weddings are moments where two people are declaring their devotion. I'm going to devote the, the remainder of my life to you. And so you have this moment where, where devotion is declared at a wedding. And I'm a big believer that, that many times at a funeral, uh, people's devotion is revealed. And that many times that the things that uh, you, you can oftentimes tell what the person who has passed was devoted to, um, you can oftentimes find out what that's really all about by what gets talked about the most at their funeral. If someone's dad or grandpa passes away and you're at the funeral and like 90% of the talk was about how much he loved to go fishing and like 7% about his kids and like 2% about... Jesus and 1% about his job, you can leave saying, man, that guy was devoted to fishing. And if you go to a funeral and like 65% of the talk is about the the person's career and just what a great business person they were, uh, and then some about fatherhood and some about marriage and some about faith, you can leave saying, man, that person was devoted to their business. I believe it's at those moments that oftentimes devotion is really revealed. And today we're kicking off a new series called Devoted. And when I think about devotion, I think of it this way, similar to some of the things that were said. I think about giving yourself over to something completely. I think about all-in commitment to something in a way that defines your life and becomes what you are known for. Now, the theme of the book of Acts, the overarching theme, is the work of the Holy Spirit through the early church. And so these last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about the person of the Holy Spirit. These next few weeks in this series we're calling Devoted, we're going to talk about what the community of Christ. We're going to talk about the church. And so if you have your Bibles, go over to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Now, if you've been at Life Church for very long, um, uh, you would know that, uh, that this passage, Acts 2, 42 to 47, 
is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. And about 25, 26 years ago, God really captured my heart with this passage about the potential of the local church. And so, but today I'm going to preach it in a different way than I've ever preached it before. And so if you have your Bibles, Acts 2, 42 to 47. So the context here is it's not been very long since Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. And then the day of Pentecost, which we talked about a few weeks ago, this moment, this holiday, this Jewish holiday, people would travel from all over the world. We're in Jerusalem, and on this moment, the Holy Spirit comes in power. Peter begins to, to preach this sermon, talking about how, how Jesus was the real Messiah that had been promised, and how those people that he was preaching to had been responsible for killing him. The Holy Spirit comes in power. These people then begin to beg. They say, what must we do to be saved? They begin to beg to give their lives to Christ. Peter says, let them repent, which literally means to, to do a 180, a change of mind, change of heart, change of direction. He says, repent, let each one of you be baptized. And then on that day, 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. And so that's what we are coming to in Acts 2, 42. It says, they, these brand new Christians, devoted themselves, this key word, devoted. They gave themselves completely. There was this all-in commitment. These things began to define who they were. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread or taking communion and remembering what Jesus had done, giving his body and blood, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. There was this great sense of God's presence, this holy fear, and many, the many wonders and signs being performed by the apostles. There was this sense of God's presence, this sense of God's power. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, not because anybody made them, they just wanted to. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So today I really want to camp out on this second word in this verse 42. They devoted themselves. They gave themselves over completely. They had this all-in commitment that they began to be known for. It began to be the things that defined their lives. And so what I want to talk to you today about is four things about this early church's devotion that should also mark our devotion. And so here's the first thing. It was a two-dimensional devotion. So like I, like I said, the context here is these people have just heard the gospel. They have, they've repented. What they really have, when one repents, this, this, this word metanoia, this idea of, of this change of mind, change of heart, change of direction, literally 180, literally what they were saying is, is I'm no longer gonna be devoted to the things that I was devoted to before. Living for myself, doing my own thing, going my own direction, I'm now going to be devoted to Christ. That's the declaration they were making. They repented, they went public with it in baptism, and, and the Holy Spirit took residence and control in, in their lives. And, and, then they, and, and so then they begin to live in this community. And, and the things that marked this community, verse 42, is it, says, it says this. 
says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching until they were learning about Jesus, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. They're taking communion. They're remembering the fact that Jesus died in our place, rose from the dead, his broken body being the bread, his shed blood being the, the wine. They're focused on Jesus. Everyone was filled with all the many wonders inside. There's this incredible sense of God's presence and God's power. And so what we see is, is this incredible devotion to Jesus, this commitment, this all-in commitment to following Jesus. And so there was this commitment to Jesus, this one directional going this way, but there was this second direction that really the rest of this passage unpacks of the devotion they had to one another. Let me show you this. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. And the rest of these verses just talk about this same thing of what does it look like? So they were fully devoted to Jesus and their full devoted the devotion to Jesus led to this full devotion to the community of Christ, the, the church. And so we see this two-dimensional. It, it, was, it was upwards to God and outwards to one another, the community of Christ. And, and see, really the, the very essence of being a follower of Jesus is devotion to Jesus. The very essence. It's, see, the thing is we live in a time where there's a whole lot of people that admire Jesus as a great teacher, as a, as a miracle worker, a prophet. There's this admiration, but there's this incredible difference between being an admirer of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. John Ortberg said it this way. He said, an admirer is impressed. A follower is devoted. An admirer applauds. A follower surrenders his life. A lot of people admired Martin Luther King some marched with him. Not many went to jail with them. Not many got their houses bombed like he did. A lot of people admired Mother Teresa. Not many people followed her to live among the destitute and dying. And so what we see in the book of Acts, what we see in the New Testament was there was this full devotion to Christ that then led to this full devotion, this all-in commitment to the community of Christ, to the church. See, the thing is, the, these things are more connected than we realize. See, we live in a time where there's a great many people who, who say, I love Jesus, but, but, I, but I don't love the community of Jesus. I don't love the church. And, and, and we, we see lots of people say, but if, as you read the scripture, the, the, the take home message reading the New Testament is you can't separate one from the other. See, the, the, the reason that the, the, the word pictures for the church intentionally make it clear, you can't separate the church from Jesus. And so when the church is called the body of Christ, it's this message. Part of the message is we all have a part to play, but part of the message is you can't separate Jesus from his body. If I were to come to you and say, hey, would you like me to separate you from your body? Well, that means can I kill you? That's what I'm asking. And, and so it's, it's, it's clear from that word picture, there's this connection and, this, and, and when the church is called the bride of Christ and, and then when the apostle Paul unpacks it, talking about marriage and he talks about the two becoming one flesh and husbands loving their wives as Christ. He, he says, hey, I'm talking about marriage and, but I want, I want you to understand is the union of a husband and wife, the two becoming one flesh that they would never be torn apart. It's really a, just a, simply an imperfect picture of this perfect 
love and union between Christ and his church. There's the, there, there, you can't have one without the other. And, and, and this idea of, of someone considering himself a, a, a faithful follower of Jesus w- without being fully devoted to the community of Jesus is a modern phenomenon. There's no, as you read the book of Acts, as you read the New Testament, you will literally not find an occasion of someone faithfully living as a follower of Jesus without living that out in the context of a local church. And so we see this devotion that these people had. It was two-dimensional. Their, their first devotion was to Jesus, but, but, but that, that, that devotion then led to this all-in commitment to the community of Jesus, the church. The thing about this devotion they had is it was a countercultural devotion. Let me show this to you, verse 44. It says, and it says, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we see some of these things and we think, oh, that's, that, that sounds super weird to me. Must have been super normal for them but it absolutely wasn't normal for them. It was absolutely countercultural. So what had happened is on this day of Pentecost, this Jewish holiday, people had come from all over the world and, and they, the Holy Spirit comes, they give their lives to Christ, that they feel compelled to stay, to be connected to this new community. So you had thousands of people who, who were there in Jerusalem, uh, far away from their homes and their jobs and their support systems. And so what happened is there was incredible need and out of that incredible need, people not because they, they, want, they had to, but because they wanted to just began sharing all of their stuff. They said, oh, you need a place to stay? And then, you know, in our mind, if someone needs a place to stay, if we, if we like them pretty good, we're up for three days. Would you like to stay at my house for three days? Does anyone else have that kind of internal kind of, you know? And, and, but these people are staying weeks and weeks and months and months and maybe even longer. And, hey, would you, would you, you, know, would you like to eat some of my food for indefinitely? And, and there was just this incredible sharing which the world had never seen anything like this. It was absolutely countercultural. And, and then and it says, and, and they were getting together Every single day, they'd get together on a Sunday, the Lord's Day, and, and they, they would pray, and they would worship, and then the, God's Word would be taught, and they would take communion, and then they would have a great meal, and they would just love being together, that they would say, hey, there's no way I can wait a whole other week to do this. Why don't we do this on a smaller scale at my house tomorrow? And then they'd get together Monday, and they'd say, hey, what if you went over to your house tomorrow, and let's pray, and talk about Jesus, and eat some food, and, and, and just be together. It was absolutely countercultural. It was a countercultural devotion. And just like the devotion that they were called to in this time was absolutely countercultural for their cultural moment, the devotion we're called to is an absolutely countercultural kind of devotion. This devotion where I'm all in, fully committed to Christ and the community of Christ, his church. See, we're called to devotion in a world of distraction. I ask you the question. In a moment of honesty and self-awareness, 
which word more describes your life? Devotion or distraction? See, for most of us that, that are honest and self-aware and living in reality, which I'm convinced is about a third of us, we'd have to say, gosh, I think, I think distraction probably defines my life more than devotion. We are the most distracted people that have ever lived. We go through life in our pocket or in our hand or within a, a reach of our hand with the ultimate distraction machine that most people throughout history could never imagine something like that. Claire and I went away for our 25th anniversary and we were out of the country and we land in this place and then immediately AT&T gives me this message. Hey, you, you're out of the country for $10 a day. You can have whatever you want is how I interpreted the text. And I was like, cool, 10 bucks a day. I'm all in. I'm devoted to this. And, uh, and the great gift to me was the next day I wake up and I have this email. You know, in 24 hours, you have exceeded $100 in international charges. At which point I was like, I'm turning off my phone. This is not worth $100 to me. And the next few days of me very disconnected from my phone, except for just a few key moments on Wi-Fi to check in on the kids, like those were the best days I've had. Now, part of it was I was in a beautiful spot away from you guys and away from my kids, you know? <laughs> part of it was that. But part of it was I was away from the ultimate distraction machine. See, we, we are called to devotion in a world of distraction. Imagine what could happen if you focused your attention on what really matters instead of all the things that don't. And when Jesus said in, in John 10 that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, I believe, I don't know this for sure, I'm making this up, but I believe that if Jesus was saying this today, I believe Jesus would say the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy by distraction. Because I believe that is the greatest threat for so many of us. See the, 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 the word devotion, as we think about it, means to literally give yourself over to something. And what if you began to think of distractions as literally the things that keep you from giving yourself over to the right things? If you think about the word traction, it literally means the, the ability to, 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 to move forward. And so if you think about the word distraction, dis is the negative prefix. It, it literally means that thing that keeps you from moving forward. I like Bob Goff. He said that the way to beat distraction is to become captivated by something much bigger and much better. So we're called to devotion, and it's a countercultural calling. We're called to devotion in a world of distraction. We're called to devotion, this countercultural calling, in a world of consumerism. From childhood, we are trained to be consumers. In the morning, sometimes I'll watch some cartoons with our four-year-old Michael, our seven-year-old Teddy, and pretty much every commercial on Disney Junior, about 10 seconds in, Michael says, I want that. <laughs> Next commercial, I want that. At four years old. He's already been trained to be a consumer. See, but the thing is about consumerism, 
Consumers are evaluators more than they are participants. Have you ever left church and said to somebody or thought to yourself, I didn't really like the worship today. Anybody honest? Four honest people in life church. Everyone else liars. And so um, one time I walked out of service and I thought to myself, I really didn't like worship today. And it was as if the Lord just whispered in my ear, that's okay. It wasn't for you. It was for me. See, consumers are evaluators more than they are participants. See, people of devotion, people living fully devoted to Christ that leads to full devotion to the community of Christ, the church, people of devotion driven by love experience joy in contributing, not just consuming. We're called to we're called to devotion in a world of consumerism. See, consumers are all about ease and convenience. We're just trained that way. If I go to a restaurant and they want me to wait more than 10 minutes, that better be a great restaurant. And I'm winding down. Oh my gosh, do I wait, 10, do I wait 15 minutes here at Twisted Fork or do I go over to Lamp Post? And nothing wrong with Lamp Post. I think I'm having it for lunch today. It's all good. But you're like, hey, do I want to wait? Is it, is it convenient enough? But here's the thing, did you recognize that devotion driven by love never cares a bit about ease and convenience? When Claire and I first started dating, I was a youth pastor in this tiny little town about 40 miles east of Dallas called Elmo, Texas. Little nothing town, used to have a gas station, pretty sure it doesn't now. And Claire's folks lived on the northwest side of Dallas. It was about a 70-minute drive from my 40-year-old trailer I lived on in that church property to Claire's parents' house. But if Claire called at 9 o'clock, couldn't text, didn't have the texting back then. I had a pager. Um, <laughs> had a pager, and I wasn't even a drug dealer. And so, uh, <laughs> but if Claire called at 9 and was like, hey, you want to you wanna grab some, some food? you know, and want to meet at IHOP or whatever. And, and I'll be like, and without even thinking, I'll be like, well, I'll be there in 70 minutes. <laughs> and we might sit in that IHOP and talk till two in the morning. And then, then I, I was fully, fully ready to then drive the 70 minutes back because it's devotion driven by love and raging hormones <laughs> will do almost anything. But consumerism is driven by ease and convenience. And I just want to challenge you. If you look at your Christian life, if you look at your relationship with the church through the lens of comfort, ease, and convenience, if these become the driving force of your Christian experience, you are for sure doing it wrong. It's impossible to, to think about a movement that was started by a guy willingly being tortured to death on a tree Be, and, and the, his message going out by, by people who mostly died for the message. A globe where even today millions of people gather together to worship at the risk of their own lives. 
We, we, we for sure must, if we begin to look through the lens of our Christian life and our church experience through what is going to make this quickest, easiest, and most convenient for me, it's, it's that, that, that idea couldn't be more foreign from the message of the New Testament. Devotion never looks, devotion driven by love never looks at, at, at decisions based on what's going to be the easiest, what's going to be the most convenient. We're called to devotion in a world of individualism, polarization, and isolation. So many people today say, say I, I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. And what individualism says is it says, I don't, I don't need anybody else. Individualism says, I've got, individualism says, I've got this. It's, it's me and Jesus. I don't need anybody else. D.L. Moody, who was the, the Billy Graham of his day. And if you're under 30 years old, Billy Graham used to be this real famous preacher. <laughs> now he's in heaven. He was visiting this wealthy Chicago businessman and the idea of church membership and church involvement came up and this wealthy businessman said, I believe I can be just as good a Christian outside the church as I can be inside it. It was a cold winter day. There was a fire going in the fireplace and D.L. Moody did not respond to the man's statement. He simply walked over to the fire and, and, and took the fireplace tools and, and dug in the fire and pulled out a, a raging hot ember of the fire. He then placed it on the hearth of that fireplace and then for the next 15 or 20 minutes just stared at the fireplace in silence. As that ember went from red hot to less hot to less red and hot and to less and less to ultimately it was just a cold piece of rock, the businessman looked at D.L. Moody and said, I understand what you're saying. See, the idea is that we desperately need each other, but individualism is the spirit of the age. It says, I don't really need anybody else, but you take individualism plus polarization. And what it says is I don't need anybody else, and I certainly don't need anybody who looks at the world a bit differently than I do. We say, I don't need anybody, but if I do need some people, it's people that will then be another echo chamber in my life, and, and, and my favorite cable news channel is not a sufficient echo chamber, and so everybody that I'm going to have meaningful relationship with, they, they, they need to look at every single thing just like I do. It's individualism plus polarization, and individualism plus polarization after two years of isolation it says, I don't need anybody else. And I certainly don't need anybody who looks at the world a bit differently than I do. And I have fallen in love with, and I have fallen in love with the idea of seeing humans less. And the idea of getting out of my pajamas and leaving my house just sounds like a bit too much effort. See, we're called to devotion, but it's a countercultural calling. The spirit of the age is isolationism. I don't need anybody else. The spirit of the age is polarization, uh, which says, I don't need anyone else that disagrees with me. It's this individualistic spirit. It's the opposite of what we see in the early church where they just said, hey, God has, has made us family and we're in this together and let's live life and let's share our things. Let's be together. Let's be family for one another. It's what the Apostle Paul's talking about in Romans 12, 10, where he says, be devoted, be all in committed to one another. 
Let that be what you're known for. Honor one another above yourselves. Here's the third thing about their devotion. It was a joy-filled devotion. Let me show this to you. Verse 46, last part, says they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. See, their devotion to Christ and his community, the church, the community of Christ, it was not a have to, it was a want to. Because of this new life, this devotion to Jesus, this empowerment of the Spirit, they, 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 this devotion, it wasn't because they had to, they desperately wanted to. It was this amazing source of joy. I like how Eugene Peterson says it in the message. It says, they followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. I love this line. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. See, like most things in life, for sure true of exercise, for sure true of marriage, but I think it might be most true in your relationship with the church. You will get out of your church experience what you put into it. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people at Life Church who either because their family lives far away or, or because they're, they're, they're just not that close with their family or their families in the Bay Area or Orange County or on the East Coast, that there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who, who out of their devotion to Christ and, and then devotion to the community of Christ have literally created friendships that before, before the service, we were gathered with the, I was with the band and the production team and we were just praying together and, and, and one of the guys said kind of jokingly, but kind of serious, he's like, you know what? I like you guys better than my own family. And there's kind of this awkward laughter, like true, not true. What do we say? How do we respond? But, but there's this thing, uh, there's this joy that came out. They loved being together. Their devotion to Christ and one another brought this amazing joy. See, but here's the thing. Well, I think when we think about devotion, when we think of giving of ourselves, I think a lot of times you think, well, that's just gonna make my life worse. And we think, well, well, that's 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 going to lead to me. My that's that's not going to be good for me. See, really, devotion is an act of giving of yourself in a million small ways. And our instinct is to see this as a thief to my joy, but it's actually the path to joy and flourishing. I believe that's what Jesus was talking about when he when he said, if you if you anyone who holds on to their life. Anyone who's devoted to themselves, anyone who holds on to their life, they ultimately lose life. They don't really live. And he says, but, but anyone who, who, who loses their life, anyone who, who places their devotion with me, goes all in with me, he says, this is the path to real life and flourishing. We live for ourselves, we lose our lives. We devote our, our lives to him, we gain everything. That's really the paradox of the Christian life. It, is, is we think, we, we, it feels like we're losing everything as we devote our lives to Christ, but in doing so, we gain everything. And, and that's really what was happening for these people. Their devotion led to flourishing and joy. Here's the last thing and we're done. It was a world-changing devotion. Verse 47. So they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people as these folks were devoted to Christ, 
devoted to one another, as they were living the Christ life, as they were living these lives of remarkable generosity, as they were caring for one another, as they were caring for people that, that, that weren't yet followers of Jesus, as they were just loving and serving and caring and living lives of grace and love and compassion, living the life of Jesus, empowered by the spirit of Jesus. There was the people on the outside begin to say, there's something different about these people. I've never seen people love one another like the way they love one another. I've never seen people care for the poor the way they care for the poor. And it says they began to enjoy the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every single day, someone else was saying, hey, I want what you've got. These people all in and devoted to Christ and his church. People looked and said, well, I want what you've got. Can you tell me about this Jesus that's changed your life? And what happened is out of a, a small group in Jerusalem, the world was changed person after person after person, all the way up until, until us. The world was changed because of their devotion and the devotion of millions and millions and millions of people for the last 2,000 years. So I got two questions for you. Are you living a life where the thing that you're known for is being all in, committed, a life devoted to Christ and his community, to Christ and his church? I'd encourage you this week to, to think about that some. And the second question is this. If that's not the truth, if not, why not? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you that you were devoted to us, that you went all in for us. Giving yourself fully for us. And God, would we be able to see the wonder of the privilege of being able to go all in for you And as we go all in for you, that leads going to going all in for your community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.